0: You're listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast, presented by Brian Dunn, Head of Matheson Employment Practice. This is a regular podcast series for HR practitioners, employment lawyers and in-house counsel, focusing on the legal issues relevant to all companies with employees
1: in Ireland. Hello and welcome. Today I want to cover a recent decision of the Irish Court of Appeal that was handed down at the end of January. This is a case that a couple of different clients have asked me to cover in this series, and it's the case of Nanoneagle Primary School, a school for children with disabilities, against Marie Daly. It dealt with the very practical question of just how far is an employer required to go to provide reasonable accommodation to an employee with a disability in the workplace? And at what point can an employer lawfully conclude that an employee's disability is such that they're no longer capable of performing the role that they've been hired for? But before we get to any of that, let's have a look at what else has been happening in the employment law world since our last podcast. For those of you who've been following the draft legislation we've been looking at in recent months, the Employment Miscellaneous Provisions Bill, the draft legislation which will restrict the use of zero-hour contracts in the Irish workplace, is still at the second of our five-stage parliamentary process. we isn't a whole lot further on. Similarly, the draft legislation, which is intended to abolish the use of mandatory retirement ages under Irish law, is also still stuck at the second stage. However, and interestingly, the draft legislation in regard to gender pay gap information, a new bill which will require Irish employers with 50 employees or more to disclose details of the average hourly rate for male and female employees and likewise the average bonuses paid out, that legislation is now at the third stage. And I suppose that's no surprise, because it was given priority status in the government's legislative agenda for this year, back in January. One other draft proposal that I've come across in recent weeks is the Trade Union Representation Miscellaneous Provisions Bill 2018. This one hasn't really got a lot of attention, but if passed, it would require Irish employers to recognise trade unions for collective bargaining purposes. If that happens, and I think it's unlikely to happen, but if it did... It would probably be the most fundamental change to Irish industrial relations law and industrial relations practice in the last 100 years because our entire industrial relations system is based on the premise that an employer cannot be required to recognize a trade union if it chooses not to do so. The fact that this is a private members bill proposed by one of the smaller opposition parties makes it quite unlikely that it's going to get anywhere, but it's nonetheless important to be aware that it's out there and to understand what its chances of success are. I think it's also a useful indication that the trade union movement generally have more or less given up on the 2015 Act. That Act itself was designed to help trade unions where the employer is refusing to recognise them by giving them access to a binding labour court order. So the fact that some elements of the trade union movement, at least in the form of this legislation, are looking for mandatory trade union recognition does to me suggest the union movement are giving up on it. The biggest development in terms of new legislation in recent weeks is the final publication of the draft data protection bill. This is the legislation that will underpin the GDPR regime when it comes into effect from the 25th of May next. I'm not going to go into any detail on what the draft legislation looks like. because an awful lot of it is beyond the sphere of employment law. But if you are interested in the HR aspects of the GDPR, we did cover this in an earlier podcast last year with one of my partners, Anne-Marie Bowen, the head of our technology and innovation group. Just a couple of points on the draft though. Firstly, the legislation is designed and drafted to sit in conjunction with some of the existing legislation, so it doesn't repeal everything and start from scratch again, which will make it quite a difficult piece of legislation to work with in practice. More significantly, the legislation provides for a deployment of two additional data protection commissioners, which must mean that the commissioner envisages a real ramp up in the level of enforcement and prosecution and generally supervision in this area. That's something we'll definitely be keeping an eye on. For me, at the moment, the majority of queries that we are receiving in regard to the HR aspects of the GDPR are actually focused on the appointment of data protection officers. It seems a lot of clients are struggling with identifying and finding the right people for this role.
0: You're listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast, presented by Brian Dunn, head of Matheson Employment Practice.
1: Let's turn now to the main case in today's review, and that's the case of Nano Nagel and Marie Daly. This Court of Appeal decision is actually the fourth full hearing of this matter after a seven-year saga. And it deals with the very practical question of just how far is an employer required to go in providing reasonable accommodation to an employee with a disability in the workplace? And at what point can that employer lawfully conclude an employee's disability is such that they are no longer capable of performing the role that they've been hired for? Before I get into the facts of the case, let me quickly run through the relevant legislation because it's key to the actual case itself. The key provision here is Section 16 of the Employment Equality Act 1998-2015 and that's the bedrock of disability discrimination protection in Irish law. And what Section 16 says is as follows. Nothing in this Act shall be construed as requiring an employer to recruit or promote an individual to a position or to retain an individual in a position if the individual is not fully competent and available to undertake and fully capable of undertaking the duties attached to that position, having regard to the conditions under which those duties are or may be required to be performed. So, to summarise, what the law is saying is an employer cannot be required to employ somebody if that person's disability is such that they cannot perform the role. And that seems fair and reasonable. However, the very essence of disability discrimination is the uninformed assumption that simply because somebody has a disability, they cannot perform a particular role. And similarly, the failure on the part of employers to at least give some consideration to what steps could be taken to assist that employee to perform the role. So in this regard, Section 16 goes one step further. What it provides is as follows, that a person who has a disability is fully competent to undertake and fully capable of undertaking any duties if the person would be so fully competent and capable on reasonable accommodation being provided by the person's employer. So again, to paraphrase, what the law is doing here is, is assuming that somebody with a disability is equally competent and capable of performing that role if the employer could assist them in achieving that level with some form of reasonable accommodation. The obligation to provide this form of reasonable accommodation is not unlimited in that the legislation states an employer shall take appropriate measures unless the measures would impose a disproportionate burden on the employer. In fleshing this out further and dealing with the concept of reasonable accommodation, the legislation talks about appropriate measures, and it identifies appropriate measures as including effective and practical measures, such as the adaptation of patterns of working or the distribution of tasks. And as you'll see, this became critical in this particular case. Let's get back now to the facts of the case. Miss Daly worked as a special needs assistant in the school, and she had worked there since 1998. In 2010, she was involved in a very serious road traffic accident, as a result of which she suffered significant physical injuries and was confined to a wheelchair. Over the course of 2011, she engaged with her employer in regard to her return to work. And as part of this process, the employer undertook an occupational health assessment purpose of this assessment was really to identify the extent of her disability following the accident and to what extent it would limit her ability to perform the role and the tasks that she was previously hired to perform. The report noted that there were 16 core elements to a special needs assistant role and that as a result of Miss Daly's injuries she was now only capable of performing nine of those 16 elements. On that basis, the employer concluded that she was unfortunately no longer fully competent and capable of performing her role and so wouldn't be able to return to work. Miss Daly issued proceedings under the Employment Equality Act and brought the matter before the then Equality Tribunal, and her case was quite simple, that the employer had failed to provide reasonable accommodation as required under Section 16 to allow her or to facilitate her return to work. The employer defended this case, on the basis that it had actually given due consideration to reasonable accommodation. For example, one of the proposals that Miss Daly had put forward was that a floating special needs assistant would be hired who would work with her to cover those aspects of the role that she couldn't perform. Rather than just reject this straight off, the employer actually inquired as to whether funding would be available to hire somebody on this basis, and the funding simply wasn't there. So on this basis, the employer concluded that it simply couldn't provide reasonable accommodation to facilitate her return. The Equality Tribunal agreed with the employer. It found that the employer had given due consideration to the reasonable accommodation put forward, it involved a disproportionate burden, and on that basis the employer had met its obligations under Section 16, and so Miss Daly lost in her claim. Miss Daly then appealed the case to the Labour Court, and that's where things became a little bit more complicated because the Labour Court actually frowned for Miss Daly and awarded her €40,000 in compensation on the basis that the employer had failed to provide reasonable accommodation. In particular, what the Labour Court found was that the failure by the employer to consider a redistribution of her duties, those particular aspects of her role that she could no longer perform, amongst the remaining team of special needs assistants, so in effect narrowing down her role to what she could do and allowing her colleagues carry the additional duties that she couldn't do, that the employer's failure to consider that as a form of reasonable accommodation was a failure and breach of their obligations under the legislation. In taking this position, the Labour Court was expressly rejecting the employer's position that Section 16 did not require the school to continue Miss Daly in her role if she was no longer capable of fully discharging the duties that she'd been hired to do pre the accident. The school, in turn, appealed the Labour Court decision and it went to the High Court, where Justice Noonan upheld the Labour Court decision and they awarded 40000 in compensation. He elaborated on the Labour Court logic as follows, and if we go back to the definition I read out from the Section 16 of the legislation, where it talked about appropriate measures including adapting the pattern of work and adapting the distribution of tasks, In the High Court, the judge held that the concept of adapting the distribution of tasks included going so far as to eliminate tasks as appropriate. So the High Court was suggesting that the employer should have been open to narrowing back the scale of her duties to those duties that she was still physically capable of performing. And the school, in failing to consider the redistribution of her tasks on this basis, had failed to provide reasonable accommodation and so lost the case. Now, The decision when it was handed down in the High Court, which was about two years ago at this stage, caused quite a stir amongst employment lawyers because it did seem to be pushing the boundaries or parameters of the Section 16 obligation much further than any of us would have expected to be the case up to that point. So it was no surprise then in turn when the school appealed the decision once more and so we ended up before the Court of Appeal. And so it was at the end of this seven year saga and four full hearings that the Court of Appeal actually found for the employer and overturned the Labour Court and the High Court decision and set aside the award of 40000 in compensation, returning the position back to the original Equality Tribunal judgment. What the Court of Appeal said in two separate detailed and quite comprehensive judgments was as follows, that while Section 16 clearly does envisage some degree of adjustment as a means of reasonable accommodation, that does not necessarily involve removing all elements from the employee's role that they can't perform. In the court's view, while it was reasonable for an employee to expect the employer to review certain or non-essential elements of the role, it was wholly unreasonable to suggest that section 16 required an employer to disregard the precisely essential elements of the role, or what one of the other judges referred to as the main duties or essential functions of the role. In the court's words, section 16 requires full competence as to the essential elements of the role and the scope of Section 16 is therefore a lot narrower than the Labour Court and the High Court had suggested in their judgments. Likewise, the Court ruled that Section 16 certainly does not go so far as to require an employer to remove or redesign a function to such an extent that it is effectively creating a new role in order to accommodate an employee with a disability. And so on that basis, the Court found it in the employer's favour and the decision was overturned. As always, the key question is, what does this mean for you as representatives of employers in Ireland? Well, first and foremost, it is a very positive judgment for employers in that it quite fairly and reasonably rebalances the law in this area and resets the position back to what we had understood it to be before the Labour Court and High Court decision. Section 16 still applies in full, it hasn't been amended in any way. It just doesn't apply to the same extent that the Labour Court and High Court had read it. Any employer facing this issue and dealing with an employee's disability and assessing the level of reasonable accommodation will still have to go through the same process. An employer will still be required to obtain independent professional medical opinion from a doctor to assess an employee's disability and the extent to which reasonable accommodation can be provided to bring the employee to a point where they can be fully competent and capable of performing the role. What we know now, however, is that we are not required under Section 16 to remove or eliminate essential functions of the role so as to accommodate the employee's disability. Having gone through that assessment, if the employer can show that either A, there simply is no reasonable accommodation that can be provided, or B, there is but it would give rise to a disproportionate burden, well then the employer is entitled to terminate the employee's employment under Section 16 of the Act. Overall, it's a very useful decision in showing just how far some of these issues can go. It also shows the extent to which employers and employment lawyers alike grapple with the issue and the extent to which reasonable accommodation has to be provided. As an aside, the fact that this saga ran for seven years and went from the Equality Tribunal right up to the Court of Appeal, where the decision was ultimately turned back to the original position, shows just how complex these issues are. The concept of reasonable accommodation and how far an employer has to go has never been easy, but this case should hopefully make it that little bit clearer. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Employment
0: Law Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email Brian. brian.done at matheson.com. This podcast contains general information about Irish law. It is not intended to provide legal advice on any particular matter and is for general information purposes only. You should not act or refrain from acting on the basis of any material contained in this podcast without seeking the appropriate legal or other professional advice. Tune in next time for another Matheson Employment Law podcast. For further information, visit matheson.com.